0: Welcome to another edition of the IDCA to Infinity Paradigm and Beyond podcast, where we bring the most recognized faces and thought leaders of the technology industry and have candid discussions on topics pertaining to digital transformation, cloud, IoT, data centers, AI, big data, infrastructure, IT, and more. Uh, Many of the most pressing topics uh, that are hitting the IT organization and the industry as a whole these days. Uh, Today's session we have with us uh, David Lindcomb, Chief Cloud Strategy Officer at Deloitte Consulting. And for those few of you who don't know David, David has got to be with people like Warner Vogels and Adrian Cockroft and a few others, one of the most recognized voices uh, in the cloud computing space. Um, and I like to say a longtime uh, occasional sharer of, of tweets and blogs over the last uh, eight to 10 years. David, thanks for joining us.
1: No, it's great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So before we get into the to the more uh, industry focused discussion, I always like to, to get started with something uh, personal, um, you know, and not that personal. But, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about David. Um, what are some of the things you like doing when you're not at work? Or maybe what's the what's the best book you've read recently?
1: Well, I don't read fiction, okay. <laughs> so right. that's that's something. That's that's. I mean, what
0: I like to do is pretty
1: uh, is pretty geeky, lazy. I know, watch Netflix and uh, and even watch TED talks, and um, you know, just kind of relax. I've been into bourbon recently, so it's you know, getting some cool bourbons and trying those. And uh, other than that, you know, going to the gym, working out, uh, I have motorcycles, I ride around, and uh, I've, I've managed not to crash those anytime soon. And so. Oh, nice. um, you know, just the, the normal geeky lifestyle around my 80 hour work week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem is the the work week. You know, I, I think I have a short work week when I only put in 55 or 60 hours and that's uh, unfortunate, but um, it it comes with actually liking what you do, I guess.
1: Yeah. I love what I do. I have a passion for it. Um, I just enjoy waking up every morning and, you know, getting to my uh, computer and start writing and start learning and start thinking about different things. I, I think that's uh, that would that's what gets you motivated. And I love technology yeah. just because it's changes all the time.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, that's it, it just doesn't sit still there. Are, there are so many different ways to skin the cat on any given day. It's, that's what's kept me excited about it as well. So, uh, you know, thinking about um, uh, kind of carrying on from that last comment about how fast change is occurring. Um, I'm going to probably ask you a few questions about, you know, where we are today and how those trends are impacting um, the use of it and the it organization in general. But, you know, you were, had been for a long time working for um, cloud technology partners and only recently joined Deloitte. How's that change going? And, and what, what are the kind of the different things you're involved in, or is it sort of the same role, just new company?
1: Well, it's,
0: it's a very much the
1: same role in terms of doing the thought leadership stuff. We call it eminence here at, uh, at Deloitte. But it's, it's just basically uh, having the tools and, uh, and support to, to, to go faster. So cloud technology partners are obviously a small company, and therefore, you know, everybody did everything, writing proposals, getting things done, uh, as far as uh, making sure deliverables, managing HR, and all those sorts of things where it's, you know, kind of an automatic process at Deloitte. So I can kind of abstract myself away from some of the ops related stuff and then focus on the thought leadership and talking to clients and uh, speaking at conferences and doing all the things that I like to do. But, you know, when you work for a small boutique company, you're, you know, more connected to everybody else in the company. Deloitte's obviously huge. uh, So you're a little, you you can't know everybody in the firm. Um, And, but as far as like what I do day to day, Uh, It's pretty consistent with what I did at uh, Cloud Technology Partners, specifically
0: the last couple of years we were around before we were bought by uh, HPE. Yep. Nice. Well, that's good. Uh, I mean, it's um, uh, it, it only makes sense, uh, you know, uh, to see this kind of role develop in a company like Deloitte or Accenture and others. And so, uh, I think it's uh, personally, I think it's great because uh, I can say that during the first few years. Uh, working with many of the consulting organizations, or even talking to people that worked at the uh, some of the bigger consulting firms that uh, for the most part they felt that this was um, an area of um, of need right before before I think management maybe realized that it was an opportunity so it 's nice to see Deloitte um, making this kind of move so congratulations
1: oh thank you i think there 's lots of people in the organization who have you know very similar skills so i 'm not alone in that there 's lots of uh, folks who are I would consider thought leadership, you know, thought leadership types, you know, that kind of figure out where the ball's being kicked and things like that. And you have to within a consulting company because you're, in essence, advising clients on where they should place investments in IT resources and human resources and capital resources to figure out where things are going in the future and be able to kind of look into the future as to what specific. Factors are going to be, um, you know, closing in on them coming forward and be able to advise them on making things happen. And I love doing that. I love doing the trusted advisory kinds of things.
0: It's funny, but uh, that's always been the part of um, my role that I've appreciated the most. And putting yourself in a position, you know, from a from a um, from a trust and from an information sharing standpoint over the years to where. Um, People uh, begin to automatically assume that that's your role, whether you're telling them that you're a trusted advisor, because you really can't. That's like telling people to respect you. Um, It's nice when you have that um, connection with a customer where they do treat you as the trusted advisor. And and it's uh, something certainly I've enjoyed as part of um, every job I've had for the last 10 years, probably. Uh, So that's great.
1: Yeah. And if something Um, has to be, you have to earn it. Um, and you only earn it through, um, you know, long relationships that are very successful and mutually beneficial.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you've, uh, you've been writing, I mean, as I mentioned earlier on, um, we've shared some ideas back and forth and, and had the occasional, um, debate, Uh, although I don't really remember us getting into a deep argument anywhere. Not that that would be bad, but, um, uh, we've had the occasional minor debate about private cloud this or public cloud that or speed to this or speed to that. But, um, you know, thinking back through the last eight to 10 years um, and then, you know, putting on your hat today, what do you see as, as kind of the uh, if you had to pick one thing, what's what's the one thing that's happening today that's new for you or or, you know, putting on another hat that that should be considered new for the customer?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's kind of a a ugly problem looming. You know, it's almost like uh, integration was back in the nineties when I wrote the uh, book on enterprise application integration, where we're seeing um, uh, this cloud complexity starting to creep up. And so in other words, we're migrating as quickly as we can to the cloud, typically doing lift and shift where, you know, leaving lots of things still on premise. And so we're adding additions to the systems that were that are under management. We're, Running ops in two different dimensions, we're um, leveraging managed service providers as part of that as well. So long and short of it, we're getting into this kind of crisis of complexity because we're hitting a tipping point with the number of cloud services, applications under management, databases under management, all these sorts of things, whether they exist in cloud or on-premise or on a managed service provider or a colo. Uh, have to be managed by IT. And and we're getting to a point where that's almost unmanageable. So we're thinking a lot about the automation, the tools, the ability to kind of abstract ourselves away from that complexity and do it better, specifically as we're starting to hit to a tipping point you know, going forward. And I think uh, most of the enterprises that are moving to the cloud are going to see that tipping point show up in 2019, 2020. And you got to be proactively prepared to figure out how to manage that effectively. And I, I think that's been my focus for the last... Uh, you know, year, year and a half or so is just really trying to figure out what are the best tools, technologies, approaches, best practices, and making that a uh, better experience. And so we end up moving to cloud and it actually becomes you know, value to us. It's not necessarily hindering growth because of the fact we're getting into more complex environments. And if you remember, you know, growing up in the you know, 80s and 90s, you know, yep. also we made things more complex then. We added, you know, PCs and, of course, the addition of the Internet in the late 90s, things like that. Well, the cloud is coming as something that's incredibly valuable that people allows people to take their environments to the next level, but can also be incredibly distru- disruptive uh, and are, are destructive if you don't necessarily figure out ways to manage the complexity of those environments. And I think that's my focus now.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, and I, I can't imagine, um, a more important one. Uh, and I, um, I've spoken about, uh, um, a similar topic a couple of times, even just recently, um, spoke at an event uh, in um, Singapore where I talked at length about that relative to uh, cloud ownership and, and data center strategy and thinking about data centers as manufacturing. And it's like, it, it seems to me, uh, maybe that's too soft of a word, I would say it's it's almost self-evident to me um, that the complexity of of ownership that uh, we have to assume as we move forward whether you consider it a transition or not as you already accurately pointed out that transition is is always happening right whether you're transitioning from mainframe to minis or minis to towers or towers to blades and vms and and so on and so forth um or transitioning from you know, owning one data center and your own infrastructure to owning your data center and cloud or your data center, colo and cloud, et cetera, et cetera, there will always be a transition period. And so, you know, when you, when you think about that, um, do you have a couple of thoughts for the listeners from an organizational standpoint, um, that would help them manage to that more effectively? Because uh, I don't know, maybe you haven't seen the same thing I've seen, but I, I, I feel like almost at every almost major transition period, as a company begins to go through it, that it's almost like it's a surprise. Like, like we've never acquired a company and now we're acquiring a company again, even though we just acquired a company three years ago. Um, are you seeing that? And if so, you know, what advice do you have?
1: Yeah, boy, that's a great question. And it's something I see as a systemic problem out there uh, in the global 2000 companies. And so there has to be a culture of change and embracing change uh, within IT in general, and also within the company as a whole. And I think the reality is that lots of change is going to occur in the marketplace at a at an increasing pace, and we're seeing that now with all the disruptive stuff that's going on, see you know, driverless cars and you know, Airbnbs, and Netflix, you know, Amazons of the world, things like that, that are disrupting the marketplace. Your ability to embrace change inside the company and leverage enabling technology as kind of, of a force multiplier to allow you to change uh, will ultimately be, be the success of the business. And so if you look at this holistically, I think a lot of those organization problems are going to take care of itself because I think in 10 years, a lot of the brands that are not necessarily keeping up with the change in the marketplace, keeping up with the disruptors, are going to end up going away. They're not going to go bankrupt, but I think they're going to get bought and acquired by other companies. And we're going to see lots of major brands that have been around for hundreds of years, you know, all of a sudden, you know, suddenly disappear. The companies that are able to change the culture where they're able to embrace change and adopt innovation and think creatively and innovatively about things are the ones that are going to remain. And so how do you change your culture around creativity and innovation? And I actually spoke to a you know a company last month about that because they were really you know not necessarily about technology which is a different deal for me they were trying to figure out how are you going to be creative and innovative going forward how are you going to change the culture and it really becomes something that has to occur in getting people excited about a goal and objective and and kind of understand number one that this is something that's not going away this is going to be ongoing uh in terms of and our, our ability to be agile and ability to uh, accept um you know business change manager ability to change quickly is really going to be the imperative to winning. That's how people are measured, and that's how we're hiring people. And eventually, the culture changes. But the hard thing is taking, you know, what I call the curmudgeon, you know, cultures out there—the folded-arm gang—and trying yep. to get them marching in a different direction. And and there's only a couple of ways you can do it. Number one, you can fire people or control their budgets, and and that doesn't seem to be very effective. And so, I do think it's going to be a crisis of you know, HR departments around the world, you know, trying to figure out to get the right people into the organization when the wrong people have been there for the last 30 years. And there's right. no easy way around. There's no easier around that. And, I, and I'm not a psychologist and I'm a human resource professional. So I can really state the problem and hope someone figures out a way to solve it, but it's, it's
0: tough. Yeah, no. I, and I, obviously, I mean, from, from the point of the question to begin with um, I completely agree with everything you just said and see it as a huge problem. And um it, I guess the one of the reasons why I even talk about it beyond the fact that um, everyone should be aware of it is that uh, it's just never too soon to begin having those discussions right and to try to figure out um, who can we save uh, and and who can we not save and what's our best process for getting from here to where we need to be in the next uh, you know year or eighteen months but um, i I see the same thing as far as the timeline i mean i've even Come, out, come so far as to say in recent uh, presentations uh, during talks that I've done that companies that don't have a plan either well underway or already executed for becoming platform companies in the next five years are likely not to be independent companies or, or working companies within the next seven. And um, so whether that timeline matches what you're thinking or not, um, I think we're probably on the same page relative to that uh, existential risk that the average company faces today.
1: Yeah, no, no. I think we're pretty close in alignment on the timing on that. And I think it's, uh, it really doesn't matter. I mean, the core message is if you're not going to accept change, adopt change, become creative and innovative in the marketplace, become a disruptive entity unto yourself, even if you're a Global 2000 company, um, you're not long for the world. And just the, the way in which the market's changing around you is what caused it. It's not necessarily any kind of internal failings within the organization. We just can't keep doing the same things year after year after year and expect the same results. It's just not going to occur.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, we could uh, do a whole nother podcast on just uh, what should a CEO look for in a CIO and what should a CIO say no to and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, maybe we'll figure out to, to do that again at some point in the future. Um, you know, so thinking about that, thinking about the complexity and, and to some degree, um, you know, these are they're not really chicken and the egg so much as that they're they're of the same problem or opportunity. And that's that, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of change and we're forcing a lot of change. But um, some of that change is being driven on us. And in other cases we're driving for the change because of the opportunity. And so when you think about um, some of the trends that are, are are the most noisy in the technology space today, trends like AI and ML and edge computing and automation and drones and, and um, robotics and IOT, et cetera. You know, first I guess, I, I want to break this down kind of in two question areas. And and the first question area is kind of um, in, in, from a big picture perspective, I want to see, I'm going to tell you how I see those playing into IT. Not that my opinion is important to the audience, but then I want to get you to tell me why I'm wrong or tell me what you would uh, add to what I said. And then I want to talk a little bit about it from, from just a, 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 you know, going back to our earlier part of our discussion, how does that affect um you know strategy from an IT standpoint but maybe this time we can talk about it more from a technology adoption strategy or you know trial and error strategy and how people need to think about that so you know my my first impression on all of these trends occurring uh and it's not it's not accurate per se to every one of the trends but when I think about things like edge computing and and some of the things that are both enabling edge and some of the things that edge is being enabled to in order to um to gain benefit from like uh, AI and ML at the edge or uh, augmented reality at the edge or IOT at the edge, et cetera. Um, I see kind of the biggest unifying trend around all of those things as being customer experience and, um, and customer connection uh, for, from a loyalty and, and from a, you know, business improvement standpoint. Do you, do you think that's on target? Would you pick that apart and, and how? No, I think you nailed it. If you look at the patterns of why we use these
1: these uh, enabling technologies—AI, edge computing, automation, drones—you know, IoT, and and whatever kind of cool technology is going to come down the line—and we're going to you know identify two or three of these things each and every year. It's what we do, you know. But but it's about the ability to um, make human beings' life easier, you know, which is good for business. You know, the drones in terms of delivering stuff in a matter of minutes, you know, uh, versus a matter of days. The ability to, um, you know, push some of the computing out to the edge, the AI capabilities, you know, so we can, you know, in essence, uh, have things make decisions for us that are intelligence that are actually assisting us versus us having to actively think and how we're going to manage these devices correctly. You know, some of the stuff that's just showing up on automobiles, for instance, is just, is just absolutely amazing versus what we saw just a few years ago. And also the ability to bring this to a business, the ability to automate factory floors and ways in which the maintenance is, is, net, is going to be an afterthought because it's done automatically with, with these various, uh, you know, artificially intelligent systems that are bound to edge computing and the IoT based systems going forward, able to push a lot of computing power out toward the machines, you know, versus having to do it in the cloud. And the ability to leverage data in such a ways that uh, we're able to anticipate things um, just because the information we have, which is meaningless unto itself, is innocuous information, is combined and analyzed in certain patterns in certain ways and bound to machine learning. They're able to come up with all sorts of conclusions that we didn't think of before. So the ability to kind of help humans, you know, on the business side and the consumer side is what all these things kind of relate to. And I think that's absolutely spot on the way you put it. As really kind of spotting the value and how this stuff works and i always ask myself with technology as it comes up how does it help a human
0: right right no i i well first of all i appreciate that and yeah in the end um it's it's funny you know uh, and i'm sure you see it happen to yourself i see it happen to myself all the time that you know somebody states makes a problem statement and the first thing i start doing is jumping to answers as opposed to saying well why did the problem occur and who's asking for it and, and what exactly is the problem supposed to solve at what opportunity or cost, right? And, and it's, um, uh, it, it is the, the technical nature of the jobs we do that it seems like we all too often IT folks uh, succumb to trying to solve the technical part of the problem before they solve the business or human side of the equation, um, which I think is um, unfortunate for all of us.
1: Yeah, I think, but there's something to be said about playing around with technology that may not have a purpose yet. I think that's yeah, how a lot yeah. of things are discovered and we eventually find a purpose. And if we don't, the technology goes away. But you're asking the right questions.
0: Yeah, no. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that. I um, uh, I, I never know um, how to gauge the value or benefit and, and how even when I've consulted with folks as, you know, as friends um, uh, that are doing IT in other businesses, um, about you know trying to create more of an innovation culture or um, or you know kind of a, a entrepreneur in residence type of culture for i t is you know how do you how do you build that? how do you define an opportunity to create something new when oftentimes the business won't even support discussion unless they've already found what's broken and are telling you to figure out how to fix it right and that really goes to the point you just made that sometimes technology for technology's sake is not such a bad thing it's just finding the right balance
1: yeah and if you look at the uh, the big disruptors out there the people who are you know kind of making markets unto themselves um they're allowing people and groups of people with time to dream you know the art of the possible so to speak as to you know what they can do and i think those things have to be fostered from it can't be your sole focus because you eventually have to make money at what you're looking to do but if you're trying right. to Yourself, differentiate yourself in the market, then, you know, what technology, enabling technology, what you can create, looking out there, testing it, is going to add value to your stuff. And I think, you know, the point just kind of links back to the previous point we made in terms of a lot of businesses unable to change around some of the disruption that's going on in the marketplace, and that will enable them to change or be able to kind of foster that culture. Uh, most don't, right. but you, you, you get a benefit if you do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally agree. So, you know, now thinking about the... Um, the opportunity, uh, you know, backwards a little bit, what are some of the, if, you, if and obviously there are potentially hundreds, but and if you had to depict three to five top areas of opportunity from, a um, a technology strategy for, uh, attempting to exploit, you know, this, this new complexity, right. The, the fact that you might be not only, um, deploying a certain type of compute in, um, in your private data center and in the co-location and in a public cloud and maybe in multiple public clouds to support different use case models. Um, but now you may be considering an entirely new design and, and management paradigm for running things at the edge. Who do you buy it from? Do you build it yourself? How many partners do you need? Those kind of things. What, what do you see as some of the hurdles for um, IT getting there?
1: I think, I think number one, having the courage to adopt the technology and leverage it. I think that's, you know, it sounds like, you know, people are already doing it if you read the tech press. And I always call it, you know, this factor of managing by magazine where people, you know, kind of have this view of the market that's going on in the technology publications. And I write for most of those. And so I know yep. you're always writing about what's cool and unique and, you know, what's next generation. But the ability to kind of get people marching in quite what I call a courageous direction where they're taking chances you know, is, is really going to be the kind of the hardest thing to do. And I think once you're able to move in that direction, it's the ability to kind of come up with uh, the ways and w- the way in which we look at this kind of a new enabling technology, disruptor, so to speak, AI, machine learning, everything we're talking about, that's able to l- layer into your particular systems and understanding what value they're going to be able to have and, and really kind of funding some of the prototypes and proof of concepts and making that stuff work. I mean, nothing really is effective as success. People have a tendency in organizations to get behind things that are successful. And I think it's really about that, you know, working some small tactical battles to take some of your existing core systems to the next level, giving them different enabling technologies that are able to, you know, allow them to do their job better. You know, the ability, for example, and, you know, track buying, buying behaviors of customers if you're a retailer, so to speak, the ability to, um, in essence, return uh, better uh, financial, uh, better financial results based on AI and machine learning technology to manage portfolios. And these dis- are discussions that should be going on now. They sound tactical yeah. in nature, but it, it's going to be 100 bet- win one battles that are going to win the war here.
0: Right, right. No, I, I would totally agree. I mean, I, I'm, I'm using a very, very simplified um, analogy comparison here, but... Um, It's like the old uh, um, question of how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time and um, trying to uh, uh, it's funny because I was uh, uh, at this event speaking um, just recently uh, in Australia um, or sorry, not Australia, Mexico city. And uh, a a person in the audience asked me the question of, well, you know, how do I approach, um, you know, getting the technologies I need for the edge? And I said, well, the first thing you do is, is identify uh, a small area of opportunity or problem that you need to fix. And then you go out and take a look at the technologies or solutions or partners that can help you solve for that. And then go start building the rest. If you look at the whole problem and attempt to solve for all of it from day one, you're likely to still be asking this question two or three years from now. You know, so uh, does that make sense to you at all? Or do you see this how people should approach the edge market is, or, you know, even transformation as any different from that.
1: No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I've never been successful in, in approaching a problem holistically, you know, trying to boil the ocean. It's about solving micro problems that lead to solving the macro problems and your ability to kind of break them, break things down into functional tasks and then build them up again into a solution. You know, it really is the mark of someone who's going to be creative and innovative and successful in this space. I mean, the ability to kind of go out there and talk about concepts and and all these sorts of things and you know take these swings through the fences without having a good understanding who you're going to partner with, who's your enabling technology you're going to leverage, what enabling technology you can leverage, and what business problem you're looking to solve, you're you're going to hit failure. And, and by the way, if you look at patterns of failure versus pattern of success, pattern of success are people who are able to break things down into um to subtasks and then build them up into larger solutions. You know, versus people are trying to do too much with too little talent and and not the right technology. And I think if you yeah. if you do that, you're going to fail every time.
0: Yeah, I I learned that the hard way as um, a program participant uh, for an HP a set of HP divisions in the early '90s that was um, attempting to do a full replacement of their homegrown Cognos based ERP system, and um, they spent uh, well they we spent almost two years just mapping processes that were occurring as they were done today, you know, back then to try and build them into the replacement solution. And, um, uh, four years later, we ended up rolling out an application that was barely any better than the application that already existed with the exception that now we were paying a lot more money for it. And, um, you know, it's a perfect example of, uh, of, of trying to bite off too much. And, and as you say, boil the ocean. And, uh, I learned a hard lesson from that. And not only how I design projects, but, um, and how much time I give a piece of a project before, uh, I call that a win and then move on to the next piece. So great advice. So, you know, uh, um, you had a chance a, a a little while ago to take a quick look at, um, something that's near and dear to my heart. And, and in fact, is, is the sponsorship for doing this podcast from a, from the sense that they uh, have all the technical resource for getting the podcast up and running and posted and all that stuff. And I'm just a, a volunteer talking head, but, um, uh, this, uh, IDCA infinity paradigm, uh, you know, and you think, if, if you think through, uh, even just part of the discussion we've been having and the, and the notion of complexity and, and how, um, IT should be measuring both itself and how maybe the business should be measuring the value being driven from IT. Um, do you see this, uh, the benefits of the something like the Infinity Paradigm being even more important today than ever? Oh, yeah. I, I, was, I was reading through it. I mean, I
1: just think it's kind of spot on in thinking the fact that we need to think about our enterprises more conceptually now. And then break those down into into domains, and break those domains down into the subdomains, and break those subdomains down into technologies, just to understand, you know, what the heck is going on. I mean, the the problem that we have with the way in which IT has built things in the last thirty years, and I've and I'm old enough to have watched that process go forward, is there there not necessarily thinking about uh, simplicity or the ability to change the infrastructure. They're just thinking about solving tactical problems as quickly as they can with whatever enabling technology was cool at the time. And, you know, and so that's why you have, you know, Java based systems, C++ based systems, you know, it's almost like layers of a tree, uh, you know, cross sections of a tree. And so the ability to kind of take a relook at it and kind of put it into categories and have some sort of a logical order, around how these things are functioning within the enterprise allows you to have an understanding and you're not going to be able to actually fix things until you have that understanding.
0: Right. And so
1: and if you, you know read my AI book and my B2B books and all this stuff like that, I always get down into kind of common enterprise models and common enterprise architectures and common patterns in terms of how we're to look at holistically what's going on. And once you have that understanding of what's going on, common semantics of how to categorize these various systems, then breaking it apart, you know, down to its subcomponents, you know, should be a fairly easy thing to do. And I, I just think there's not enough thinking here because we're thinking tactically, and maybe it's the whole, you know, movement to agile, which I wholly embrace, and certainly DevOps, I wholly embrace. But the ability to kind of do things in short sprints and yep. not necessarily think out of those domains uh, seems to be a cultural thing. That's probably a step backwards. You know, where 30 years ago we used to think about enterprise architecture, we had the discipline, we didn't do it very well, and those parks weren't really a to make any changes in the organization. There should be some discipline in terms of how we conceptually look at what's going on with IT, And I think this, uh, this concept does a great job of doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been a lot of work and uh, it's um, uh, as we talked about a little bit before we started the podcast, uh, you know, I think it's a rather lofty goal, but um, I think even if, even if we get to the 70 or 80 percentile um, completion for, for our, you know, total package, I think it'll be it'll be potentially a boon for organizations as they as they look to try to, you know, manage their way forward and and um, and you know define a, a, an ownership strategy for their technology, uh, including their organization and their operations and all that stuff that is best fit for their business, right? As opposed to. How, and I, and I'm, I've, I've got to believe you see this on a regular basis from a uh, you know consulting and discussion standpoint with IT teams. But it's it's frustrating to me how many areas of IT are still answered by licking your finger and sticking it in the air and seeing which way the wind's blowing. Right? How much risk do we have for this? Oh, I don't know. Or you know, we've got uh, earthquakes happen once in a while. We have. Um, You know technology change that occurs i think the risk justifies doing triple of everything right um that kind of thing and it's it's um there is no uniform strategy and some of your books um from uh, the passages that i've read would help people think about that and i um you know i think this infinity paradigm if people employ it correctly gives them a path to help uh, manage uh, risk and and um and spend more effectively yeah, and I would, I would
1: look at a lot of enterprises to take a look at this as kind of a jumping off point to getting things back under control. Um, I think everybody's thinking tactically now and, you know, cloud, cloud, cloud and AI, AI and machine learning, machine learning. And it has to kind of back up as to what holistically are you trying to accomplish? How is this aligned to the business? And how are the new enabling technologies, which, by the way, should be used and embraced and certainly DevOps and Agile and things like that, work into this larger concept of our enterprise IT solution and how we're going to manage it going forward. I just, I just think it's lacking within most of the companies out there. And I think it's something that uh, the company should re-embrace and look at. Now, let's put it this way. I think they're going to have to. We talked about the complexity crisis that's coming. I think that's going to drive a lot of um, yeah, a re-emergence of uh, you know, these sorts of paradigms and concepts to kind of attempt to get things under control. And I, I think you have to do it.
0: Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, And we are um, rapidly approaching the end of our show. Uh, You know, if you had one um, takeaway uh, based on anything we've talked about or even something we haven't talked about, something that you think um, everyone should be considering at some level, whether it's a technology or an organizational strategy or some combination of the above, what would you leave for people?
1: I I think it's a matter of, um, you know, thinking about, how we're going to align technology to creativity and innovation going forward. I think that's the biggest missing link out there. So whatever you work, even if you work for a startup um, or even a tire factory in Akron, I mean, the ability to kind of understand that we're heading into an economy where people who are innovative and creative are going to get a lot more traction than they did in the past. Uh, You should be thinking constantly about how that's going to occur. And so what's going to be the challenges in the five year, 10 year period of time in terms of, you know, people that are in essence getting into your market and uh, doing things you never anticipated them doing and being able to either follow them or stay ahead of them or keep up with them. Uh, It's probably the most important conversation to have these days.
0: Uh, I think that's great advice. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. So, um, Folks, uh, that's it for today's show. I really want to thank um, David for joining us. Uh, uh, this was a, a really fun episode, and I, uh, I I know that he wouldn't want to, but I would love to keep talking for another hour because there's so much to discuss in this space. And frankly, we haven't uh, talked in a long time, uh, so we'll have to figure out a chance to catch up in person. Um, so again, David, thank you very much. And, oh, my pleasure. And... and Folks, uh, join us next time, and if you would like to nominate uh, anyone else to join me on a future podcast, please um, email us at podcast at idc-a.org. And until next time, I'm Mark Teely, and you can find me on Twitter at mthiele10. And David, what about you? Where can people find you? Your blog, your, your, your Twitter handle?
1: Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or always uh, Twitter at David Lenticum, all one word, L-I-N-T-H-I-C-U-M.
0: Awesome. And again, thanks for joining us, folks. And David, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you.